0: What comes to your mind when I say the word nutrition? Is it dieting and weight loss? Or is it malnutrition and hunger? Nutrition means different things for different classes of people, but is equally important to rich, poor, and everyone in between. But it is often sidelined because it's not urgent like cancer or heart disease or even COVID-19. It is a daily affair which means it is boring and tiresome. But that has not stopped people from trying to make it a more interesting topic. Hi there, you're listening to Unviral, the podcast where we tackle that dangerous combination of the two kinds of virality, misinformation about health. I'm Parvati Mohan, production lead at Factly, and in this episode, we look at false information about nutrition. In our last episode, we spoke about vaccine-related fake news. And it was mostly one-dimensional. No matter what the claim, the point being made was that vaccines are bad and we should not take them. But it's not so easy with nutrition. The false information here is more layered and comes in various categories. Let's start with the buzzword of our times, COVID-19. We have seen social media posts that tell us that eating garlic will keep us safe from the virus, but dairy products are a no-no. One set of people believed that eating beef is a ticket to COVID-19, while another set said that beef consumption was the way out of the pandemic. But does the virus really care about what we eat? Let's find out what research says about this from my colleague Nandita Kalidos, the Factly Facebook Health Fellow. Hi Nandita. Hello Parvati. I was just telling our listeners about how social media platforms are full of claims about what foods to eat or stay away from to avoid contracting COVID-19. As someone who works on misinformation in the health sphere, let me ask you, what is the relation between the food we eat and the pandemic?
1: Right, like we have seen uh, during the lockdown or the entire of last year, People have been completely dependent on uh, the internet, which is full of misinformation. There was a lot of uncertainty in the air and that uncertainty creates a lot of fear, which in turn will lead us to, say, uh, grasp onto a hope that anything will work and there, there may be a magic cure out there. And this is one of the primary reasons why our food habits were also majorly affected by the pandemic. We depended on, uh, say, having boiled garlic uh, as a cure for coronavirus or uh, we have stayed away from meat and people had their own inhibitions about how poultry would have been affected by the coronavirus. So there were a lot of reasons why we have depended on these functional foods to both prevent and cure us of our COVID-19. And this belief is actually fueled by so much information that we were seeing on the on social media, things for WhatsApp forwards, and uh, I'm sure like all our family groups were flooded with these kind of measures that do this, and uh, you will not get coronavirus or uh, drink these uh, kalonji seeds, and uh, your coronavirus will be cured. And th- it's very anecdotal, but we also understand where the source is and where they're coming from. But at the same time, we need to realize that the medical authorities, be it ICMR, CDC or even the WHO, have actually disproved a lot of these myths and have put up authentic uh, information on their websites. These things do not work and there is no scientific evidence behind uh, these functional foods as cure to coronavirus.
0: When someone makes a claim that a certain type of food can help fight a disease like COVID-19, What they are essentially saying is that that food is safe. This opens up a new discussion because there is a whole product line around this. Companies are manufacturing products that claim to wash our fruits and vegetables free of all pesticide and chemical residues, thereby making it totally safe for consumption. Joining us now is Dr. GM Subharao, Scientist E of Health Communication at the Indian Council of Medical Research, National Institute of Nutrition. Hello, Dr. Subharao. Thank you for joining us on Unviral. From the perspective of a scientist, what can you tell us about this whole question of food safety?
2: The food that you consume should be safe. Safe in terms of uh, handling, safe in terms of thoroughly washed, properly cooked. Try to consume uh, hot food as far as possible. Of course, there are raw vegetables, raw fruit and things like that. Thoroughly wash them and eat. Don't need to be wary about um, you know pesticide residues and things like that. They may be there. Residues are always there. No food is 100% safe. That people have to remember. So it is the extent of unsafe element that is there that can uh, you know actually give a trouble to their health. If it is of that extent or that level, then it is a cause of concern. As long as it is in limits, no uh, toxin can actually create any uh, issue.
0: That's a relief to hear, but the world of gimmicky marketing is not done scaring us about our health. For years now, we have been told by mainstream media and advertisers that we need to look thin and so obesity, weight loss and fat diets like keto and paleo have become a huge part of the public conversation on health. But are these claims and fat diets supported by scientific research, Dr. Subbarao?
2: The only alternative is you have to diversify your diet. Don't just rely on one and don't um, have your weight goals directly associated with uh, diet most people do this of course in a short term it is fine you want to lose uh, some amount of weight it is fine you you take a diet plan but no diet plan is always right whether it is a ketogenic diet or a gm diet or whatever diet you call there is a goal you achieve that goal but see whether your body type or if your health condition is suitable to follow those diets don't go in for fat diets without Uh, cross-checking what is required for you.
0: A big part of these fat diets seems to be telling us that protein is the most important nutrient group. And so, I want to talk a little more about protein. Also, it has a lot of misinformation around it. Claims range from protein being hard to digest to saying it only comes from meat-based food. Other claims outright dismiss the importance of protein, saying that it's not necessary for regular people And only those who are physically active need to actually consume a good amount of protein. But again, if we turn to scientific studies about this, what do we come to know, Nandita?
1: You know, there was an interesting study called Protein Paradox that was conducted to understand how Indian mothers perceive protein as part of the diet. It is important because mothers are the primary stakeholders who are also the decision makers of the diets in our households. And this is especially true for children. So in this context, the underlying protein paradox, that is the high importance vis-a-vis the low understanding is one of the major factors for India's low protein consumption. This study, which panned across 16 cities and uh, interviewed over 2,000 mothers, they found the key challenge is that 81% of the mothers incorrectly believe that the basic diet consisting of our uh, roti dal chawal is good enough for our protein needs. But if you take, for instance, uh, hemoglobin, which is the primary carrier of oxygen in the blood, is in fact a protein. And this is why protein becomes utmost crucial in our diets. And also, proteins are, in general, very crucial for how our immunity or energy or muscle strength is built and also for its recovery. And they're also known to control blood sugars and fight off sicknesses. So, they carry a lot more importance than we tend to give, usually. I mentioned
0: that some people believe that protein is only essential for those engaged in physical activity. Most of us in the middle and upper classes live fairly sedentary lives, with just one part of our day kept aside for exercise. But we have in India a huge labour force that is active for most of the day. And yet, this set of people does not have access to good nutrition, whether it is protein or vitamins or minerals. And this has been a challenge India has faced for all of its modern history. We have a huge malnutrition problem among the underprivileged, but refuse to talk about it like we talk about obesity in the public sphere. Your take on this, Dr. subarau
2: In Indian context, you understand uh, the undernutrition persists, the stunting and wasting, they still persist despite uh, concerted government programs and a lot of efforts from a lot of uh, other stakeholders, including NGOs or research organizations and academia. We definitely see a reduction if you see NFHS upcoming data of uh, NFHS 5, You can see there is definitely some reduction in stunting uh, among children, but it is not commensurate with the kind of efforts that we are all putting in. Similarly, anemia among micronutrient deficiency disorders. Anemia persists to be a bigger problem among women, especially of reproductive age, who in turn pass on uh, undernutrition for being uh, anemic to the next generation. Uh, undernutrition, not just in terms of iron deficiency and anemia, but also in terms of low birth weight for the children. Again, the cycle continues. And off late, if you see NFHS uh, data again, uh, you can see that there is definite increase in overweight and obesity. If you take obesity itself uh, among many states, uh, different states, there are states which have increased obesity uh, uh, by about two to three percent in the last. Uh, Uh, five to six years and also are states where obesity has gone up by 11% so on, on all India basis we have a lot of increase in obesity also so the coexistence of undernutrition problems that were related to overnutrition at one point of time but they are cutting across all economic categories now that and also uh, micronutrient malnutrition, especially of iron, uh, of zinc, of B12, of, of folate, of many uh, such uh, micronutrient deficiencies, they are coexisting in Indian population. And that's a bigger challenge for us to handle. Low birth weight among children, that is children born below 2.5 kgs of birth weight, still exists a problem. Three decades ago, it was 30-33%. Today, it is about 26-27%, to 27%, which, is, which is almost same despite all our efforts and of course there are several other problems that not initi- initiating exclusive breastfeeding right uh, at uh, but they are all increasing but not commensurate with the efforts that we are putting in
0: we may not think that misinformation can affect our health choices beyond a certain extent we probably think we are too smart to fall for social media forwards that tell us what to eat and what not to eat But misinformation about health goes beyond social media. In your research, you came across a gruesome practice related to malnutrition, Nandita.
1: Can you tell our listeners a little about that? Yes. In the Umaria district of Madhya Pradesh, there exists a prevalent mal practice called dagna which has its roots in superstition. So, dagna is a ritual where the village elders or local healers Uh, In case of malnutrition as a solution for malnutrition, they cinch the sick child's belly with hot iron, a piece of bangle, sharp end of a sickle, or whatever they find like neem wood, in the hope that it will bring relief to the child's problem. With no scientific evidence, children are subjected to this brutal cure to their problems of malnutrition and undernourishment. This inhumane practice is quite common in the tribal-dominated blocks of the district. Thanks to the IS officer who had taken in charge to combat this gruesome practice through a three-tired approach where he actually engaged at a grassroots level where uh, he brought in the regulation in place. He actually ensured that the practice has been stopped and also he rewarded people who actually stopped this practice and reported any events of such practices in the district. But the takeaway is that the misinformation is not restricted to the four walls or the echo chambers of the social media, but it has real-time consequences as well. We have spoken about the two
0: extremes in the world of nutrition, the obese and the undernourished. In between is another part of the population, that which doesn't fall under either category, but is still in requirement of good nutrition goals. As someone who works in health communication, what can you tell us about the ideal kind of nutrition, Dr. Subharao? I mean, if there is such a thing at all.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, this question uh, about what's best in terms of nutrition for people uh, gets asked many times. Uh, We wish we had uh, a one-line answer for this, but it's not so easy. Uh, The basic uh, tenet on which the recommendations, the dietary guidelines for Indians Uh, is uh, based on is about diet diversity so that means you know there are a lot of groups of foods that uh, one needs to consume if there was any one food that was uh, sufficient to provide all the nutrients that would have been the superfood but no such food exists so one has to draw different nutrients and different kinds of uh, beneficial components from uh, various foods so that necessitates uh, that our diets become diverse Consuming food alone is uh, not a solution, one has to be physically active as well. I know it's a very um, long drawn lecture kind of a thing, but definitely yes, You know, if there was one line answer we would have given, but it is not. So diversify your diet is the mantra, everything in moderation is another mantra. And lots of water and physical activity is the third mantra. That gives you a holistic picture of good nutrition.
0: So when you ask us to diversify our diets. Do you mean we should be eating imported foods like quinoa and dragon fruit? How many Indians can really afford these? You know, uh,
2: a fruit like a dragon fruit which is coming in the market, we don't need it. Kiwis, we don't need it. The, one of our studies in NIN has shown uh, adding 25 grams of guava in the midday meal has improved ferritin and iron absorption levels among children. This is a published study and, and media uh, didn't bother to cover this much. Uh, humble guava can be your inclusion. So, these come to people with right kind of information dissemination and making not just information dissemination, but also making these things available, accessible, affordable and approachable to people.
0: The ICMR-NIN has come up with an interesting document called My Plate for the Day, in which it details a rough distribution of what food the average Indian can consume to diversify their diet. We will leave links to the studies mentioned in this podcast in the description for you to take a look. Keep in mind that these provide an overview and may not be suitable for everyone. People with health issues are advised to check with their doctors before embarking on any diet programme. We hope this discussion has helped you gain some perspective on nutrition. If you have more questions about misinformation related to food, get in touch with us on WhatsApp or social media and we will get back to you. Until next time, take care, stay safe and remember to unviral. Unviral by Factly is researched by Nandita Kalidos, written, hosted and produced by Parvati Mohan, and edited and designed by Jyoti Jiru. Thank you for listening.